Today on the Mishmash Podcast, my guest is Christine Manley, physical therapist for ProCare Rehabilitation in Hazlitt, New Jersey. Christine, thanks so much for taking the time to come and chat with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honored. So... Uh, we were talking off the air a little bit about what I'm trying to do with some of these episodes and stuff. And so the focus for this run of, of episodes is featuring women in the sciences. So I wanted to get a couple of different viewpoints and a couple of different professions within that umbrella, just to kind of give some representation and, and just see what your experience is like as a woman in this particular field. Mm -hmm. um, so if you wouldn't mind, maybe we could start off just with your background and maybe how you got to this point in your career. Yes. So um, I became interested in physical therapy, not the same way like a lot of people did. Like I actually was not a patient initially. That's how a lot of people get into it. I just knew I liked to work with people. I played sports growing up. I was a dancer. Like I did ballet, jazz, point, and I liked to be active. So I knew I wanted to do something with like anatomy, physiology, and I was good at science. So I started to volunteer in high school at outpatient clinics, and I knew I liked it. And I was into strength and conditioning as well. So that was like a big part of how I got into it. They're, strength and conditioning and physical therapy, they're very different as far as kind of like what the end goal is, but at least that was my way in. So I went to the University of Delaware for undergrad. It was exercise physiology was the major. So I was there for four years, and then I went to Drexel for grad school to get my doctorate of physical therapy. And that's, it's like basically two to three years, like by the time you take your exam and become a PT. So did you jump right into grad school right after undergrad or was I, it? I did. Yeah. So like during that process, I did like volunteer at places and then you do like, you have to volunteer actually in order to get into all these schools and in different settings. So like outpatient, acute care, you can do pediatrics, um, neuro. That's what I found so nice about getting into physical therapy is that I didn't need to know exactly what I wanted to do. Like I knew I wanted to work with people and I wanted to help people feel better. And then while I was in school, I could kind of find my niche. But I was always leaning towards outpatient because I was an athlete and, and that was like my original passion. That's so great. And you literally touched on like my whole list of uh, <laughs> bullet points here. So this is perfect. So we can kind of jump around from there. And then mm -hmm. you, you went to Homedale High School, right? I did. And so do you think that were there any special programs that gave you a jump start on that path? Because I know that high school in particular does a lot with like the professional development side. At the time when I went to high school, they didn't really. Oh, wow. They were just starting to get into some of these like specialized electives. But no, they didn't. Now I know they have a lot, which would have been helpful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you said that because I guess this would be a good point to, to give some background. So Christina and I met uh, when I came in as a patient for the first time. And I say for the first time because it's become almost like a regular thing. It's funny. Actually, when I walked in a, a couple of weeks ago uh, to ask you if you wanted to come on to the podcast and everybody was saying hello to me on the way in, I kind of felt like Norm from Cheers. <laughs> Which is yes. maybe too much of a level of comfort. But like Pete says, I usually just come in every couple of months for a tune-up, you know, is, is how it is. Yeah. And we want the environment to feel like a home. Like I remember Pete saying that a long time ago. And I think that's important that you feel comfortable where you're going. It, it helps with your recovery too, like that mental aspect. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. And so my 
physical therapy journey began with a different practice in Hazlitt. And that was the same sort of environment early on where it was, it, it just felt like a little community unto itself. And I think yeah. that definitely expedited the, the healing process and stuff. But the way Pete and everybody there runs the program at ProCare, it really is like, it's the best way I can describe it is it's professional, but fun. Like it's, it's always kept light for the patients, but you guys know your stuff, you know, and you're clearly in charge doing what you do. And I, I think that helps in the long run. Good. I'm glad it, it comes across that way. Cause like, I think like that trust between a PT and a patient is extremely important that like, I'm not going to let you down. Like, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, but then it shouldn't be like you're dreading to come, you know, <laughs> which is, that's the next question I want to get into. And it's funny because that atmosphere is important. And I've probably said this on like three or four consecutive episodes here now, but I tend to be, my, my wife calls me the mayor. So when I'm around, I'm always talking to people and chatting and stuff. And when I came in that day, I held the door for a guy who clearly looked like, I, like I, I whizzed past him walking through the parking lot, which usually doesn't happen when I'm heading to ProCare. So I waited and held the door for him. And within the next three minutes, he's telling me all about all the stuff that him and Pete have been doing and this other thing. But I think that he, he was enthusiastic to about being there and he trusted that you know you guys were going to get him right and that's that's how it's been for me so that's I've great no complaints i'm curious though there, there must be some challenges with being a physical therapist mm -hmm. but also just the the program to get there i know for my wife and i were just talking about this uh when i was prepping for the episode it seems like such a daunting thing because like you mentioned before that you didn't have to specialize i think that in a way is sort of scary because mm -hmm. there's so many situations you can encounter so through your schooling, if, if you remember that experience, was that something that ever daunted you? Were you ever concerned about like just the sheer amount of stuff you need to know to be successful or? So I think when you're going through the process of schooling, you are just kind of taking it like one class at a time, one step at a time, at least for me, that's how it was. Like, I think if you do think of like the whole thing, it is kind of intimidating, right? And there's a lot of like difficult classes, like neuro for me, it was one of the most challenging, but I think having a good support group, like I had like friends that were in the program with me. I lived with, so uh, when I was in Philly at Drexel, I lived with four girls or do I live with three girls? There was four of us and we were all PT majors. And so having that support, you can ask questions, you know, you're not going to like forget there's a test coming up. That was always very helpful. Like even in high school, I always asked for help. I always went to the after school help. And so like, I think because of that, like it was never quite daunting to me because I just took it a step at a time. I utilized the help that was around and not to say, I mean, I got extremely nervous for every single test, even now for continuing education. Like there's a quiz, doesn't really matter what your grade is. I get nervous, right? right. Doesn't so like... It's normal, I think, to be nervous, but like making sure you're just taking it one step at a time, those like short term goals. And then it's it's not that daunting. Yeah. Right. And I've I've noticed too in terms of the not not even just the physical therapists specifically that I've encountered, but more the students. Cause you guys do a lot of student hosting at ProCare, yes. which I think is phenomenal. It's a great what what better place to start as a student than there, where the knowledge is there, the support is there. But I don't want to say that you can tell who's going to succeed and who's not. That's way too broad of a stroke. But mm -hmm. I have more of an inkling for which ones are more likely to succeed. And I think a lot of that 
is something that you you embody, right? So in the sense of being really self-motivated, self-driven, hardworking, because you need to be able to handle a lot of the pressure, but also keep yourself rolling. Like it doesn't seem like a a field that you can just kind of coast and, you know, make it through. So yes. And a big thing is like the social aspect of being a physical therapist. And it doesn't matter what setting you're in. It could be home care, pediatrics, neuro, outpatient. You need to know how to talk to people and, and also read people, right? So that does take kind of experience to learn well. But I think being around people, like having a job when you're younger, like it doesn't even have to be specific to physical therapy, but a job where you have to interact with people is wonderful. Because like you can always teach someone I don't know, math, let's say, right? Like you, but like you can't, it's more difficult to teach someone how to socialize with another person. Well, I, I don't know <laughs> if you would consider that bedside manner specifically, but as you said before, yeah. you are a doctor of, of physical therapy, right? right? So, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but I noticed that that was one of the key things in terms of which ones I thought would be successful versus which ones weren't was right. some of the students that I worked with or that worked on me rather, the ones that were more personable seemed more at ease and more confident. And I don't know how much that comes into play, but the maybe two or three that I remember that were definitely either introverted or even antisocial in some extent, I did wonder, I, I hope that they were on the right path for them because that's got to be a difficult transition to make if you're not used to socializing. You know, it's not one of those jobs where you want to just stand there quietly. Yes, exactly. And so like, I, that's a big thing we try to tell our students when they come in is like, you know, don't even worry about the PT part of it. Just get to know the patients because if the patient is comfortable like just with you socially, then the rest will come. So it, that's a huge, especially now with like everyone being on their computers or the phone, you need to be able to talk to people. Absolutely. And two of my recent episodes featured a nutrition coach who I actually just hired because of one of those episodes that's on a whole, awesome. a whole new journey, a whole separate thing. But one of the things that we were talking about was basically what would make for an ideal client, right? And mm -hmm. not so much an ideal client in terms of the success, but more, I guess I started to think about it more in terms of like your patients and what makes for a challenging patient versus mm -hmm. a, an ideal one. And I know for me, not that I would consider myself ideal in any sense, right? But <laughs> I come, whenever I'm there, I'm there to work. Yes. And I get the sense that not everybody comes in as willingly, you know, looking at it that way. I think a lot of mm -hmm. times they want you to do the work for them if they even want to be there at all, because mm -hmm. that's a, a big challenge. Mm -hmm. How have, I'm assuming you've had some of those negative encounters. How have you weathered that and maintained your professionalism, which I can't right. imagine you ever not doing. So. <laughs> Thank you. And first of all, you are an amazing, amazing patient. Um, <laughs> and a big part of that is because you are willing to put the work in. I know you're going to do the homework exactly as I tell you to do it. When you're in the clinic, you do exactly what I say. And also like you communicate back to me with how you're feeling, but you're right. Not every person is the same way, but it's my job as a physical therapist to tailor to the patient and their personality and still get my job done. So that's where like you have to be able to read people and kind of figure out what is going to work best for this patient and still and what are their goals. Everyone's goals are different. Some people come in and you know they they want to get back to CrossFit or like pickleball or and other people just want to be able to walk, you know? So I think as long as you have the other patient's interests in mind and you don't like try to fight them on things, you work with them through things, then like 
I would tell you, you know, I need you to do this three times a day, every day, like, and you would do it. I might have to start slower with somebody else just to get them to do something. Right. Because if I give them too much, they're going to hate me and not want to do anything. <laughs> right. and, and for what it's worth, just in terms of, I mean, you know, I respect you immensely, but part of why I respect you so much too, is the fact that when I've seen you interact with other patients who just overheard conversations, you know, in, in the, the office, you never treat anybody differently. So if someone's goal is to get back to CrossFit or running marathons, you approach them the same exact way as someone else who just happened to have a slip and fall and wants to get back to, you know, a comfortable if sedentary lifestyle, right? And I, Yeah, thank I, you. Yeah. And I, I think that's great because... Mm-hmm. Again, so many people that I know that have come into physical therapy have athletic backgrounds. They have a, a foundation, a foundational fitness or fitness foundation rather. And I think it's important um, to be able to to handle people who may not come from that background because it is. I know for me, it's difficult to understand folks who just don't do anything, you know, right, and not be judgy. So right. Exactly. And and that's where like the, the mind frame is different than like a strength and conditioning kind of mind frame. It's more of like, I want to get this person healthy and happy. So like, that's a, the biggest thing. Like if my patient's not happy, they're not going to do well. So that's why like, I might do something for them like that I just know is going to make them happy. But then at the same time, we're also doing things that I know are like, physically necessary that are also going to get them better. Right. And I definitely, uh, I never really associated the two, but now that I'm thinking about it, there's clearly crossover points between strength and conditioning and physical therapy. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of RIPT, R-Y-P-T, down in Tinton Falls. Yes. But my my daughter actually just completed their program. I mean, they do it seasonally. So she completed the spring program. I was, unfortunately, she's in great shape, good conditioning, but she was like the third to last kid or the last kid down the court every time. And it was like, she ran with these, you know, big wooden shoes on or something. (laughs) So I realized, I said, I don't think she knows how to run properly. And, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted her to get more, I knew if she got into a program like that, that she would gain more confidence, get into better shape. And long story short, she finished it. She was doing some kind of squats with like a 50 pound dumbbell. And she was so proud of herself for doing it. And that's kind of one of the things that I like about you guys and on the physical therapy side and then ripped uh, over there is it's about building a healthier lifestyle. It's Mm -hmm. about more than just, hey, do these exercises and then you're done. And you guys try to do the same thing, too, where it's about living the best life that you can within Mm -hmm. whatever confines you've got, you know, which I think is cool. Yes. I do think it's important for young kids to get into strength conditioning, like, you know, starting with just like, like body weight types of exercises to start that healthy routine early. Cause I did, I I exercised, like obviously I played, played sports when I was younger, but like my dad got me into jogging. So I was just in this routine already. And I kept that up as I like became an adult. Then children mess it all up, but. (laughs) So speaking of then, you're a mom to two awesome young ladies, right? Yes. And how did that affect your, if if you're willing to discuss it, Mm -hmm. how did that affect your role as a physical therapist? Because that's, the the job itself is pretty Mm -hmm. demanding, not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically. It's a long day. Mm -hmm. And so I know for me, the biggest shift once we had kids was, just again, that strain, the the emotions, the ups, the downs and everything. Mm-hmm. So how did you navigate that process of shifting gears or, or even now shifting gears? It honestly wasn't that bad, I think, because I mean, it's a completely different setting, right? So like when I'm at home, I'm at home. And when I'm at work, I am at work. And so like you walk into that new environment and 
it's almost like this, like a whole new day, almost a whole new person, right? There's like mom Christine at home. And then there's PT Christine when I walk through the doors of ProCare. So that's why I I love going into ProCare and I love like going into another setting and not working from home. Because like if something is stressful for me, like by the time I talk to my first patient and I'm focusing on them, like I forget about all of it. And then once I leave, like I can like get back to what I need to for home. But that's what kind of makes it so nice. Yeah. And I think that separation is important in the sense that not enough people do it nowadays. And this is even before COVID when working from home really, you know, ratcheted up. I think just in general, too many people had it bleed over from one to the other, you know, and it is, it's a difficult thing to, to achieve, but Mm -hmm. I think it's, it affects you when you don't do that. And I know as Mm -hmm. a teacher, that was one of the first things my cooperating teacher told me was, you know, like when you walk into the classroom, whatever happens in the classroom stays there, whatever, (laughs) whatever you walked in with, leave it at the door. And it really, it was such a necessary thing. But so in terms of walking in the door, I was curious if there's such a thing as like a common, the most common situation you've faced as a physical therapist, is it slips and falls? Is it, you know, just sort of uh, a range of things? So, I mean, we do see so many types of patients that there's not one that like fully dominates, but I would say like we do see mostly spine patients. Oh, right. You guys have a focus on spine and back stuff, right? Specifically? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm McKenzie certified. So it's like four long weekends of doing a course and then you have to take an exam and do like a practical component. And so is that the McKenzie method, just in case people yes, want to know? So that, can you, do you want to just run into like a quick synopsis of that for people? Yeah. So the McKenzie method, it's primarily known like with the spine. So cervical, thoracic, lumbar, and it, it helps with like the evaluation process and it, it kind of helps to categorize it. But the, the typical McKenzie that a lot of people know, we do repeated movements depending on whatever the diagnosis is to help with the pain. But it also is used on extremities. And I've had a lot of success using it on extremities as well. So it's what's nice about it is if the typical McKenzie that you think of works for the patient, you see improvements immediately. So not 100%, but you see a positive change. But if it doesn't fit that category specifically, it helps you to find the appropriate category and then the best way to treat that patient. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. You mentioned before there's an array of situations or conditions. I think I saw someone there once who was, they had like vestibular difficulties. What are some of the more obscure situations that you've faced, if you can discuss them? I know. Yes. Obviously I can't talk about anyone specifically, but I am vestibular certified and then Chris that works as well. So it's, it's a specialty that like once you graduate, you have to do like more continuing education credits in order to like properly treat it. That's why just Chris and myself treat patients like that. But it's a very different type of physical therapy compared to treating something more orthopedic. Like it's, it's a little more like neurological. Right. Okay. That, um, that's what I thought. Yeah. So like you're dealing with the vestibular system, concussion, but there are some that are, are very severe. Like, you know, like some people are very dizzy, they get sick and it affects like their daily life, like almost everything that you do when it's, when it's a certain type of a vestibular issue. So like sometimes those can be like the most challenging because there's like so many different areas that you can be working on because not one vestibular patient is really the same as another. 
But that's what keeps it interesting. And that's really, <laughs> if I had to describe what it is, because I don't know what the average person thinks of in terms of physical therapy. I don't know right. how many people have encountered it, how many people haven't. But for me, again, it harkens back to what we said earlier about restoring a lifestyle, which mm-hmm. to me, it's funny. We were just, again, talking off the air. To, we just picked up the puppy today. So yeah. big, so big, big changes here. But I was speaking to the breeder and, you know, he's in one of those rare situations where essentially what he does, his job is just to bring people joy, right? And yeah. and in a way, physical therapy, even though the patients may not feel that way at the time, right? <laughs> right. That really is what you're offering them. You're giving people their lives back, which, I mean, that's got to feel good if just from the altruism standpoint to begin with. Yeah. Um, I think that's what I like about outpatient is with most people, you see a huge change from the first day you meet them to their last visit. So like it's it's very like gratifying to like see someone like go from not being able to do like, you know, the like the things they really want to do and then now they're back to their prior level of function or like even better. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why I like outpatient. Right, which which I'm a testament to as well. It's funny it's funny how the timing and everything works. So the last time we worked for my knee actually was a running issue. Mm -hmm. And so you had said that I could get back to it. I just needed to take it slow. And I knew innately, like I wasn't ready for slow. Unfortunately, (laughs) it was an on off switch, not a dimmer. (laughs) I I finally got the dimmer switch installed. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But it's great to be able like, I feel confident knowing that if I want to take those steps that I can, and if there's a problem, I know that if I come to you guys again, it'll help. So that's a big relief for me just in terms of living an active lifestyle. And to be fair, I would say 90% of the cases, what brought me in was something stupid that I did to myself, right? Like the last time spending way too much time sitting on the floor, wrapping presents and playing with the kids and stuff. So again, it's a learning process. And, you know, my background was more on the fitness side. So I did Mm -hmm. like, you know, impersonal, personal (laughs) training stuff like back in high school and early college. And when I went to talk to Pete recently uh, about something fitness related, I learned like I used to be a big stretcher. And when I spoke to him, he was talking more about dynamic stretching. And so we had a discussion that led me into this whole new research path. And I had no idea. Like, so it's cool mm-hmm. to like, to always be able to learn something new and, you know, adapt and adjust, I guess. Yeah. I, a big part of actually what we do is patient education, because I could just have you come in, I could work on you, I could give you this exercise and that exercise and send you home. But in order for like that long-term recovery, it's so important for someone to understand like why they're in the predicament they're in to begin with. And then some type of lifestyle change that's going to help keep the pain away. So it is too, it's almost like, like a, you were talking about the nutritionist and it's probably like a lifestyle change, right? It's the same thing for people that come to see us. Otherwise it could just happen again. Right. Absolutely. And that's, from the nutrition side too, there's a need for a willingness or an openness to do it. And I mean, I think that this, this level of success is completely predicated upon that because if you're not willing to accept ownership, like, again, I knew I did it to myself every time. One time, I think in 2018, it was because we did the cross country road trip. I drove, I figured it out after the fact, it was 11 hours of driving a day for eight straight days. We covered a lot of ground, but I paid for it, you know, over the next, uh, the next couple of months. I feel like we mentioned communication too. I think just in terms of like the evaluation process, that's Mm got to be really important. How do you handle, 
a patient who cannot accurately describe what's going on and and how much do you have to rely on your you know education your experience to solve the mystery as it were yes yeah, so sometimes the history taking part of it patients don't always know how to describe things especially with vestibular type of dizziness so i don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable so like i don't like try to like dig in and get them to say the right word to me i can usually figure it out like when i take a look at them too through just my evaluation. But even like sometimes just like then getting into normal conversation, I that's what it is. Like when I do my history taking, it's really just a conversation with the patient. And then like as that hour goes on, like I continue this conversation throughout the treatment and then I can figure it out. You don't have to describe it to me like one certain way. I don't try to lead someone in one direction to lead it towards like something I want it to be as opposed to like what it really is. But I know generally, like, you know, with with this diagnosis, these are the symptoms with this diagnosis. These are the symptoms. So I have to also be able to make sure I'm asking the appropriate questions or ask a question differently in order to get what I need. Not to put you on the spot, but have you ever had a situation where you were stumped and you had to maybe confer with someone else? Like, what what would be the process there if you were just like, you know what, it could be these five things, but I really don't know which it is. Yes. And that's why I like working with like a family where I'm in a clinic, there's five or six of us, but we talk to each other all the time, like bouncing ideas off or like, I was like, if I was thinking something, but maybe not feeling fully confident because that's natural, depending on what's going on. Like, then I can speak to somebody else and it's always helpful. So um, yeah, we call that like differential diagnosis. Like when someone comes in with like, cause usually it's like, you know, back pain. Okay. So like back pain can be treated so many different ways. Like what is the diagnosis that I'm going to come up with? So we should be asking questions a certain way to narrow it down. And then if it's not work, whatever I'm doing, if it's not working for that patient, like instead of getting like down on yourself or frustrated about it, it's always good to consult with another PT or you reevaluate. That's why like really every visit that my patients are coming in, you know, I, I talk to them, see how they're doing, ask if they're doing their homework, like so basically the exercises at home. But then I look at like range of motion, I look at strength because I want to make sure that I'm seeing improvements. And if I'm not seeing it within a time that they really should be, then I need to change what I'm doing. So that's why like, as you are more experienced, then like usually things work out, like, you know, you pick it up a lot quicker, but then like as a new grad coming in, as long as you know, you're not doing a disservice to the patient and like, you're not stubborn. You're like, this is what it is. This is what I need to do. Like, it really is just a constant evaluation every time you see them. And again, to your credit, right? I think it takes a certain amount of self-confidence to be able to ask for help because you don't want to be viewed, you know, and again, I obviously don't work with you guys, but just watching the rapport that you all have together, it really does seem like, you know, no one's going to be like laughing at you behind your back or, you know, (laughs) saying something like that. And even, even the support staff, I'm always amazed by how knowledgeable they are in terms of the exercises. And, you know, I mean, I've been corrected more than a couple of times, right? Because of form and stuff, which but I that's want. that's good. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I, I want that. I'm there to work. So I don't want to do it wrong and I'm wasting my time. Although right. just from the patient side of it, it is funny to kind of like people watch because <laughs> there's a lot of waiting around, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're just observing. Right. And so I can always tell who's cheating and who's not by the way they're looking around too, oh, which is yes. pretty funny. Yes. We know the cheaters too. Right. <laughs> so in terms of, you mentioned professional development earlier, 
In terms of the tools of your trade, right, the the items that you have at your disposal, how often do you guys have new stuff come in? Because I've seen like the anti-gravity tread, the anti-gravity treadmill, which I've been on and is super cool. Yeah. Uh, the ultrasound machine. There's things that come into play that I never would have really thought of in terms of being tools for uh, for physical therapy. Right. I guess it's just kind of as we notice we need something and like maybe it's like like twice a year, like, you know, we, we got the massage gun as like just another tool to use. Do you find that to be useful, though? Because Heather wants to get me one. Yeah. And I just feel like it's <laughs> just going to be a waste for me. So with a lot of things, it depends. Right. It's everything is individualized. And because like, you know, you need to make sure you know how to use it right, too. Right. But for a lot of what we do in physical therapy, you don't need a lot of tools. I mean, like having the anti-gravity treadmill has been like so helpful with transitioning patients to walking, running. But you have a TheraBand, you have some weights, you have some dumbbells. And then like, you know, some of the other tools, I guess, are they're, they can be helpful, but like not always like, you know, necessary in order to get that patient fully recovered. But occasionally we'll get something fun. Like, just probably to, like, keep us interested and try something new. Yeah. I've said this before to you. I'm never nervous when I see you guys loading up weights onto, you know, the pulley system yeah. or, you know, if there's, like, a squat rack or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm freaked out when there's a rubber band, a little <laughs> ball, and something else because I know I'm going to be in for it with that, especially, like, right. the, the, the thumb stuff is always brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> one, one thing that I found interesting was when this physical uh, therapy journey that I started on, uh, it started off in a much more hands-on environment. And for that injury, if I never told you this, my uh, I had a grapefruit growing out of my ankle. Like it turned into mm. not even a softball size. It shot right past that. Mm. So when it finally healed, never never broken, nothing you know bad. I, it was just, I couldn't run. I couldn't mm-hmm. get stuff going. So that's how I wound up in physical therapy the first time. That approach was, again, m- much more hands-on oriented. And when I started the pro care, it was a surprise because of how exercise centric it was. And looking back, I actually, I, I see benefits to both, but one of the things that's great about pro care's approach is that it is what you mentioned earlier, that it's enabling people to kind of do more on their own and mm-hmm. then sustain things. And that was yeah. unfortunately, I almost like abused the physical therapy situation the first time, because mm-hmm. my brain was like, well, if I break it, they can fix it. So I would go <laughs> and push myself to do nine, 10 miles, 11 miles, whatever it was, knowing like, eh, well, you know, I'll, I'll go there. And that's not a healthy mindset to have. And I think if the work was put more on me, I definitely would have reconsidered that approach. So, <laughs> yeah. And that's where like, yeah, you have to be able to communicate with the patient and, and understand their personality in order to, you know, at least try to lead them in the right direction. But we're always here for you. Like sometimes people have a hard time being discharged and kind of letting go. And I say, listen, like we can say today you're discharged. And if tomorrow you decide to come back, you give us a call. Like, so like our door is always open. Like if you need us for anything. I like that you guys call it graduation day, right? That's, yes. Cause that, that, that is mm-hmm. it is. I've gotten to the point now, you know, I don't know how many degrees I would have earned by this point if they were all graduation days, right? <laughs> but it's always, <clears throat> at least for me, it's now a good feeling. And and there's definitely a part, the, the thing that I miss the most when I'm finished with a session is, or when an issue is resolved rather, is more the camaraderie. Like it's something I do look forward to, you know, it's the, the work is whatever it is, but just being in the environment, again, it's fun. The music, the personalities, everybody's really nice and supportive, which is great. So in terms of gender, right, because this has come mm-hmm. up for me in different different professions that I've discussed on here, mm-hmm. do you feel like women are 
well represented within the field? Would you say it's male dominated? Is it 50-50? At this point, I believe it is female dominated for whatever reason. And maybe it depends on the setting, but even an outpatient if I would give a percentage, like I would say at least 60%. 60-40, right? That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it's great. And like, I mean, as, th- as far as like, you know, young girls thinking about coming into physical therapy, I think it's it's great that you stay active. Like I'm always on my feet. I think the communication aspect, even men- mentally, like it, I think it's good for me too to, to talk to patients. I've become more of a confident person being a physical therapist. Like, and I've only worked at ProCare. I've been there for almost 10 years now. So like they've helped me become more confident too. And I think that kind of carries over into your life as well. Like maybe being a little bit more assertive because I've always been a little bit of like, like a people pleaser. Like I, I don't like speak up very much, but I, this has actually helped me a lot. I think especially when you know that you're good at what you do and you see people succeed. That's really nice. I mean, it's late nights. You have to like for outpatient, you have to be able to like work late sometimes. Outpatient, um, sometimes you work on weekends. We're not open on weekends because Pete, like when he first opened up the has or it was Homedale at the time, now it's Hazlitt. He was like, family time is so important. Like I want my weekends for family time. Like I want the same thing for like my coworkers. But like acute care, you'll have to work holidays and some weekends. But like with every type of occupation, you have to think about like what that means for your lifestyle. But overall, I think it's a fantastic career. Yeah. And yeah. For, for what it's worth, you definitely do seem more confident recently, let's say the last few years. Okay, yeah. But even when I walked in the door the first time, because you were the first one that I worked with at ProCare. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And with the, you're, funny enough, you, your confidence in yourself was what struck me. Like you carry yourself as a very confident <clears throat> leader in terms of your knowledge, just all of it. It really reassured me when I came in there because I was freaked out. I didn't okay, know what thank was you. Going on. Yeah, that, that's good. I think that's so important because you, you need your patient to feel comfortable. Yeah. Right. And, and it's funny because, uh, and this is, again, is a testament to ProCare and to Pete and the environment that he's helped foster. Like, I can walk in there and work with anybody that's that's there and feel confident that I'm going to get you know, the same level of treatment. It's not like Absolutely. when you're at a barber shop and you're like, oh, all right, I don't want that guy because he butchers <laughs> people, cut my right? Hair, yeah. But there, but there is a reason why whenever I come, if you're, you're the first one that I reach out for because of, again, like the, the rapport, you understand me. You, I, I always feel seen. I know it's like an overused term, right? But I feel seen and I'm not judged for whatever it is that got me there, even though it's going to be something ridiculous, hopefully, right? <laughs> right, right. And again, that's a testament to you. And I think it's, you know, like you said, 10 years in the same place. First of all, congratulations. That's Thanks. that's a big, that's a big milestone in yeah. any career. And I think it speaks a lot to, again, the environment and just the way it's, it's structured. It's a special place. And I, I, I know a lot of people feel the same way, which Thank is- Thank you. Yeah. It's, it is true that like, we tend to stick with the same patients, right? Like, you know, sometimes depending on people's schedules, things change, but, and then no one's offended by it either, right? Like all we want is for our patients to feel comfortable to come into pro care and know that they're going to be treated well. So I think that helps to keep the environment positive as well. Like no one becomes like offended if, if they don't stick with you or like, like you come in and, and you, you say, oh, yeah, I want Christine. Like no one becomes offended. It just shows that there's a connection and, and that's what we're all trying to do. Right. Absolutely. And then mm-hmm. just to close out then in terms of 
potential, you know, young women that want to enter the field, what sort of course of study, obviously you don't have as much control in high school in terms of electives and stuff. I would imagine, did you take an AP bio or any AP science classes? So, um, no AP science classes. No, just like chem, physics, like all like the normal ones. It was like English. I took, it was like an honors English. I'm trying to even remember what I took. (laughs) And then for for undergrad, like, so for me, you mentioned before about it being 60, 40, uh, in terms of the, the gender breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that and again, this is just stereotypically, but historically, there are like nurturing professions, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the same way that women might be underrepresented, say, in, in the high school education or even college education, mm-hmm. they're overrepresented in the younger grades as elementary school teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that nurturing aspect. Right. Um, and it's the same thing. I'm, I'm excited. I, I might have a, a doctor friend come on. She's a medical researcher, the, the smartest woman I've ever That's met. That's awesome. And Again, when uh, I feel like if you were to ask the average kid to draw a doctor and to draw a nurse, mm-hmm. I just feel like based on nothing other than just instinct, that they would probably draw a female nurse and a male doctor. Yeah, which yeah. I don't like. That bothers me. So right. that's part of what this is all about. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I, I was just curious for you know young women if they would they wouldn't do like pre med as a as a major. It would be is it specific to physical therapy? So. For the most part, it's it's exercise physiology, how like sometimes kinesiology will be the major. It depending on the school, sometimes like they'll, I think, call it like pre-physical therapy because some schools, they do like a three and three program where instead of doing four years and then three years, you do three and three. Right. So like it, you go right into the grad program. But yeah, even like in undergrad really it was a lot of women that were in my major yeah which is great and and again the irony is it's also weirdly reassuring in the sense that there's such a drop-off for so many girls in sports right around age 12 or 13 and yet so many of the physical therapists that i've met played sports they played sports in junior high school and high school Mm -hmm. they've been athletic and stuff so at Mm -hmm. least there are some girls who are sticking with it. And then this is exactly one of the things that I like is this is, it proliferates, you know, that may lead to a career. Obviously not everyone's going to be a professional soccer player, basketball player, uh, dancer, you know, whatever it happens Mm -hmm. to be. But this is something that's, if not connected to that athleticism, at least, you know, maybe born of it, which I think is cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Some way that like, I mean, obviously like, you know, growing up, you're passionate about a sport or dance or like something. And then, we're not going to play it forever, but you can kind of still like stay in that same kind of mind frame where like you're helping others do these types of activities and having a knowledge base of it is really helpful with the recovery aspect of it as well. So you like some kids, like they get injured, let's say, and like can't get back to their sport. That can be mentally extremely difficult but then they can come, they can be an aid for us at ProCare. And like, you'll be around like exercise and um, other people that are playing sports and like talking about it. So like, it is good, I think, to have something else besides just like playing an activity, but still being in that same kind of environment. Yeah. And I think it's so important, not just for kids, for everybody, but kids especially to be active. There's a mind-body connection, you know, in terms of that endorphin rush for, mm-hmm. you know, when you're out for a run or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just helps the mental health side of things. And mm-hmm. I love that at ProCare, everybody, but you specifically, sort of, you know, foster that holistic view, right? Where it's not just about fixing the issue. Sometimes it's about fixing the people too. And yeah. 
I count myself among the fortunate who can, you know, have claimed that. And uh, this was great. I really appreciate you coming by and, and sharing some of your experiences today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was great. <laughs> and hopefully I see you soon, but not too soon, at right. least in terms of uh, an, an outpatient, inpatient scenario there. Exactly. But <laughs> thanks so much for, for coming, Christine. And thank you, everybody, for listening wherever and whenever you are. <laughs>